Chapter Ten of the Old Maids Club by Israel Zangwill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten: The Good Young Men Who Lived. It is indeed a happy solution," said Lord Silverdale enviously, "to spend your life in the service of other men, yet to save it for yourself. It reconciles all ideals." Well, you can very easily try it," said Lily. I have just heard from the princess of portman square she is reorganizing her household in view of her nuptials shall i write you a recommendation no but i will read you an address to an egyptian tip-cat replied his lordship with the irrelevancy which was growing upon him you know the recent excavations have shown that the little egyptians used to play pussy-cat five thousand years ago address to an egyptian tip-cat and thou hast flown about, how strange a story, full five and forty centuries ago, Ayer Fayum, fired with military glory, received from Gurod with purpureal show, the sea-born captives of the spear and bow, and thou hast blacked, perhaps, the very finest eye that sparkled in the twelfth Egyptian dynasty. The sight of thee brings visions panoramic, of manlier games as pharaoh pyramids what hands now tinct with substances balsamic have set thee leaping like the sportive kids what time the passers-by did close their lids did the stern priesthood strive thy cult to smother or wast thou worshipped like thy purring brother where is the youth by whom thou wast created and tipped profusely doth he frisk in glee in ahlu or lives he transmigrated the lower life osiris did decree of fowl or fly or fish or fox or flea or fallen deeper is he politician stumping the land his country's quack physician thou sphinx in wood unchanged serene immortal how many states and temples have decayed and generations past the mystic portal whilst thou still young hast gone on being played say when thy popularity shall fade and art thou here's my last if not my stiffest as good a bouncer as the hieroglyphist why did the hieroglyphists used to brag said lily shamefully you can no more believe in their statements than in epitaphs there seems something peculiarly mendacious about stone as a recording medium only it must be admitted on behalf of the hieroglyphists that it may be the egyptologists who are the braggers there never was an ancient inscription which is not capable of being taken in a dozen different ways like a party leader's speech every word has six possible meanings and half a dozen probable ones the savants only pretend to understand the stones so saying lord silverdale took his departure on the doorstep he met a young lady carrying a brown paper parcel she smiled so sweetly at him that he raised his hat and wondered where he had met her but it was only another candidate she faced turple the magnificent and smiled on unawed turple ended by relaxing his muscles a whit then ashamed of himself he announced gruffly miss mary frisco after the preliminary formalities and after having duly assured herself that there was no male ear within earshot 
Miss Frisco delivered herself of the following candid confession. I am a pretty girl, as you can see. I wear sweet frocks and smiles, and my eyes are of heaven's own blue. Men are fond of gazing into them. Men are so artistic. They admire the beautiful and tell her so. Women are so different. I have overheard my girlfriends call me that silly little flirt. I hold that any woman can twist any man round her little finger or his arm round her waist, therefore I consider it no conceit to say I have attracted considerable attention. If I had accepted all the offers I received, my marriages could easily have filled a column of the times. I know there are women who think that men are coarse, unsentimental creatures, given over to slang, tobacco, billiards, betting, brandies and sodas, smoking-room stories, flirtations with barmaids, dress and general depravity. But the women who say or write that are soured creatures who have never been loved, have never fathomed the depth and purity of men's souls. I have been loved. I have been loved much and often, and I speak as one who knows. Man is the most maligned animal in creation. He is the least gross and carnal of creatures, the most exquisitely pure and refined in thought and deed, the most capable of disinterested devotion, self-sacrifice, chivalry, tenderness. Every man is his own Bayard. If men had their deserts, we women, heartless, frivolous, venal creatures that we are, would go down on our knees to them and beg them to marry us. I am a woman, and again I speak as one who knows, for I am not a bad specimen of my sex. Even my best friends admit I am only silly. I am really a very generous and kind-hearted little thing. I never keep my tailor waiting longer than a year. I have made quite a number of pen-wipers for the poor, and I have never told an unnecessary lie in my life. I give a great deal of affection to my mother, and even a little assistance in the household. I do not smoke scented cigarettes. I read travels and biographies as well as novels, play the guitar rather well, attend a drawing class, rise long before noon, am good-tempered, wear my ball dresses more than once, turn winter dresses into spring frocks by stripping off the fur and putting on galon, and diversify my gowns by changing the sleeves. In short, I am a superior, thoroughly domesticated girl, and yet I have never met a man who has not had the advantage of me in all the virtues. There was George Hawley. I regret I cannot mention my lovers in chronological order, but my memories are so vague, they all seem to fuse into one another. Perhaps it is because there is a lack of distinctiveness about men, a monotonous goodness which has its charm but is extremely confusing. One thing I do remember, though, about George, at least I think it was George, his moustache was rather bristly, and the little curled tips used to tickle one's nose comically. I was very disappointed in George, I had heard such a lot of talk about him, but when I got to really know him I found he was not a bit like it. How I came to really know him was like this. Mary, he said, as we sat on the stairs, high up, so as not to be in the way of the waiters, won't you say yes and make me the happiest man alive? Never man loved as I love now. Answer me. Do not torture me with surprise. I was silent, speechless with happiness to think that I had won this true manly heart. 
i looked down at my fan my lips were forming the affirmative monosyllable when george continued passionately ah mary speak mary the only woman i ever loved i turned pale with emotion tears came into my eyes is this true i articulated am i really the only woman you ever loved by my hopes of a hereafter yes george was a bit slangy in his general conversation the shallow world never knew the poetry he could rise to this is the first time i have known what it is to love mary my sweet sweet own no not your own i interrupted coldly for my heart was like ice within me i belong to myself and i intend to will you give me your arm into the ballroom mr daythorpe must be looking for me everywhere it sounds very wicked to say it i know but i cannot delay my confession longer i love i adore i dote on wicked men men who love not wisely but too well when i learnt history at school i could always answer questions about the reign of charles the second it was such a deliciously wicked period i love burns lord byron de musset lovelace all the nice naughty men of history or fiction i love ouida's guardsman whose love is a tornado and charlotte bronte's rochester and byron's don juan i hate i detest milksops and a good man always seems to me a milksop it is a flaw a terrible flaw in my composition i know but i cannot help it it makes me miserable but what can i do nature will out that was how i came to find george out to discover he was not the terrible cavalier the abandoned squire of dames the world said he was his reputation was purely bogus the gossips might buzz but i had it on the highest authority i was the first woman he had ever loved what pleasure is there in such a conquest it grieved me to break his heart but i had no option daythorpe was another fellow who taught me the same lesson of the purity and high emotions of his cruelly libelled sex he too when driven into a corner far from the madding crowd confessed that i was the only woman he had ever loved i have tried them all poets and musicians barristers and business men they all had suffered from the same incapacity for affection till they met me it was quite pathetic to discover how truly all men were brothers the only difference was that while some added i was the only woman they ever could love others insisted that never man had loved before as they did now the latter lovers always reminded me of advertisers offering a superior article to anything in the trade nowhere could i meet the man i longed for the man who had lived and loved once i felt stirrings towards a handsome young widower but he went out of his way to assure me he had never cared for his first wife after that of course he had no chance unable to discover any but good young men i resigned myself perforce to spinsterhood i resolved to cultivate only platonic relations i told young men to come to me and tell me their troubles i encouraged them to sit at my feet and confide in me while i held their hands to give them courage but even so they would never confess anything worth hearing and if they did love anybody it invariably turned out to be me and me only 
yes i grieve to say these platonic young men were just as good as the others leaving out the audacity of their proposing to me when i had given them no encouragement here again i found men distressingly alike they are constitutionally unable to be girls chums they are always hankering to convert the friendship into love time after time anticipations of a genuine comradeship were rudely dispelled by fatuous philandering yet i never ceased to be surprised and i never lost hope such i suppose is the simple trustfulness of a girl's nature in time i got to know when the explosion was coming and this deadened the shock i found it was usually preceded by suicidal remarks of a retrospective character my comrades would tell me of their past lives of the days when the world's oyster was yet unopened by them in those dark days tears of self-pity came into their eyes as they spoke of them they were on the point of suicide to a man only one little thing always came to save them their first brief the acceptance of their first article poem or song the opportune death of ants the chance hearing of an organ note rolling through the portal of a village church on a sunday afternoon a letter from an old schoolmaster the obvious survival of the narrators rather spoiled the sensational thrill for me but they themselves were always keenly touched by the story and from suicide in the past to suicide in the future was an easy transition alas i was the connecting link they loved me and unless i returned their love that early suicide would prove to have been merely postponed in the course of conversation it transpired that i was the first woman they had ever loved i remember once rejecting on this account two such platonic failures within ten minutes of each other one was a well-known caricaturist and the other was the editor of a lady's paper each left me declaring his heart was broken that i had led him on shamelessly that i was a heartless jilt and that he would go and kill himself my brother tom accidentally told me he saw them together about an hour afterwards at a bar in the strand asking each other what was their poison so i learnt they had spoken the truth i had driven them to drink and according to tom the drink at this particular bar is superior to strychnine he says men always take it in preference and have you then finally decided to abandon platonics asked lily when the flow of words came to an end finally and you have decided to enroll in our ranks miss mary friscoe hesitated well about that part i'm not quite so certain to tell the truth there is one young man of my acquaintance who has never yet proposed when i started for here in disgust at the goodness of mankind i forgot him but in talking he has come back to my mind i have a strong suspicion he is quite wicked he is always painting actresses don't you think it would be unfair to him to take my vows without giving him a chance well yes said lily musingly perhaps it would you would feel easier afterwards otherwise you might always reproach yourself with the thought that you had perhaps turned away from a bad man's love you might feel the world was not so good as you had imagined in your girlish cynicism and then you might regret having joined us quite so said miss friscoe eagerly but he shall be the very last man i will listen to 
when do you propose to be proposed to by him the sooner the better this very day if you like i am going straight from here to my drawing class very well then you will come to-morrow and tell me of your final decision to-morrow miss mary frisco arrived at the drawing class late her fellow students of both sexes were already at their easels and her entry distracted everybody it was a motley gathering working in motley media charcoal chalk pencil oil watercolor one girl was modeling in clay and one young gentleman opera glass in hand was making enlarged colored copies of photographs it was this young gentleman that mary came out for to see his name was bertie smythe he was rich but he would always be a poor artist his ambition was to paint the nude there were lilies of the valley in the bosom of mary's art gown and when she arrived she unfolded the brown paper parcel she carried and took therefrom a cardboard box containing a snow-white collar and spotless cuffs which she proceeded to adjust upon her person she then went to the drawing-board rack and stood helpless unable to reach down her board which was quite two inches above her head there was a rush of embryo ras those who failed to hand her the board got down the cast and dusted it for her and fixed it up according to her minute and detailed directions and adjusted her easel and brought her a trestle and lent her lead pencils and cut them for her and gave her chunks of stale bread all for which services she rewarded them with bewitching smiles and profuse thanks and a thousand apologies it took her a long time getting to work on the charcoal cluster of plums which had occupied her ever since the commencement of the term because she never ventured to commence without holding long confabulations with her fellow students as to whether the light was falling in exactly the same way as last time she got them to cock their heads on one side and survey the sketch to retreat and look at it knowingly to measure the visual angle with a stick of charcoal or even to manipulate delicately the great work itself meantime she fluttered about it chattering alternately enraptured and dissatisfied and when at last she started it was by rubbing everything out the best position for drawing happened to be next to bertie smythe that artist was now engaged in copying the portrait of an actress oh mr smythe said mary suddenly in a confidential whisper i've got such a beautiful face for you to paint i know you have flashed bertie in the same intimate tone what a tease you are twisting my words like that said mary rapping him playfully on the knuckles with her mall stick you know what i mean quite well it's a cousin of mine in the country i see it runs in the family said bertie what runs in the family asked mary beautiful faces of course oh that's too bad of you said mary pouting you know i don't like compliments she rubbed a pellet of bread fretfully into her drawing i don't pay compliments i tell the truth said bertie meeting her gaze unflinchingly oh look at that funny little curl miss roberts is wearing to-night bother miss roberts when are you going to let me have your face to paint my cousins you mean said mary rubbing away harder than ever no i don't i mean yours i never give away photographs to gentlemen 
well sit to me then sit to you where in my studio good gracious what are you talking about you oh you are too tiresome i shall never get this finished grumbled mary concentrating herself so vigorously on the drawing that she absent-mindedly erased the last vestiges of it she took up her plumb line and held it in front of her cast and became absorbed in contemplating it you haven't answered my question miss friscoe whispered bertie pertinaciously what question when are you going to lend me your face look there's mr biscuit going home already hang mr biscuit i say mary he began passionately how are you getting on mr smythe came the creaking voice of potts the drawing-master behind him pretty well thank you how's yourself mechanically replied bertie greatly flustered by his inopportune arrival potts stared and mary burst into a ringing laugh look at my drawing mr potts she said it will come so funny why there's nothing there said potts dear me no more there is said mary i-i was entirely dissatisfied with it you might just sketch it in for me potts was accustomed to doing the work of most of the ladies students they used to let him do a little bit on each of his rounds till the thing was completed he set to work on mary's drawing leaving her to finish being proposed to and you really love me mary was saying while potts was sketching the second plum can you doubt it bertie whispered tremulously yes i do doubt it you have loved so many girls you know oh i have heard all about your conquests she thought it was best to take the bull by the horns and her breath came thick and fast as she waited for the reply that would make or mar her life bertie's face lit up with pleasure oh but he began ah yes i know she interrupted triumphantly what about that actress you are painting now oh well said bertie if you say yes i promise never to speak to her again and you will give up your bad habits she continued joyfully every one even my cigarettes if you say the word my whole life shall be devoted to making you happy you shall never hear a cross word from my lips mary's face fell her lip twitched what was the use of marrying a milksop like that where would be the fun of a union without mutual recriminations and sweet reconciliations she even began to doubt whether he was wicked after all did you ever really love that actress she whispered anxiously no of course i didn't said bertie soothingly to tell you the truth i have never spoken to her in my life i bought her photo in the burlington arcade and i only talk with the fellows about ballet girls in order not to be behind the times i never knew what love was until i met you you are the only crash bang went his three-legged easel upset by mary's irrepressible movement of pique the eyes of the class were on them in a moment but only mary knew that in that crash her last hope of happiness had fallen too i do trust miss friscoe's last chance will not prove a blank again said lord silverdale when lily had told him of the poor girl's disappointments why asked the president 
because I shrink from the viva voce examination. Why? asked the president. I am afraid I should be so dangerous. Why? asked the president. Because I have loved before. I shall be desperately in love with another woman all through the interview. Oh, I am so sorry, but you are inadmissible, said Lily, when Miss Frisco came to announce her willingness to join the club. Why? asked the candidate. Because you belong to an art class. It is forbidden by our bylaws. How stupid of me not to think of it yesterday. But I am ready to give it up. Oh, I couldn't dream of allowing that on any account, said the president. I hear you draw so well. So Mary never went before the honorary trier. End of chapter 10